the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. <clears throat> Excuse me. As always, very interesting. Got a lot of stuff, doing a lot of reading lately, uh, trying to keep up with changes in the economy, looking at uh, what to do about such low CD rates. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. I'll give a couple of alternatives there to current CD rates. I, I just can't believe how low they are. It's, it's unreal. I really never anticipated that in the United States. And by the way, it's it's better here than it is in a lot of European countries who literally have to pay the banks to keep their money safe for them. That's a trip. Uh, never thought I'd see that either. Negative interest rates. Just crazy. Good news is that the economy is growing really quickly. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the second segment of today's show. And uh, on the third segment of today's show, we'll talk about some individual stocks. I know I've got a bunch of people that like to talk about that. And, you know, for me, it's it's kind of been relegated to a hobby now. I, I only manage about a, a quarter of my own money. Uh, the other money, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I manage the whole thing, but I uh, use a lot of exchange-traded funds now. Because there are a lot of funds, we'll talk a lot about that in the last section of today's show. There are a lot of funds that were doing nearly the exact same thing I was doing, and but they're automated. So they're there 24-7, and I'm only in the uh, office during market hours. Uh, and if I'm out on the road, then I, I could miss something, and they typically don't. So I would probably recommend that everybody re- relegate the, their individual stock picking to hobby status. Uh, and for your serious money, you want to find funds that are doing the things that, that you would like to be doing yourself, but don't have time for. And that shouldn't be too hard, right? There's only several thousand exchange traded funds out there. <laughs> Pretty easy to tell the difference and find the ones that you want, right? So we'll talk a little bit about uh, what kind of criteria that I look for in that sort of thing as well. So, you know, as I've been doing for the past few weeks, anyway, this is a uh, going to be a, a habit. Now uh, we're going to talk about the economy for the first 15 minutes or so of each show. 
And I think it, it, it's really important for people to kind of understand how the economy works from the standpoint of um, not getting surprised when things happen in financial markets and then panicking. A lot of part of a lot of the reason that people panic is that they're seeing something that they were unprepared for. They didn't know that it could happen and nobody's pointed that out to them before. And if you, if you knew that a certain thing could happen and once it happens, that element of surprise is kind of gone because you were kind of expecting it or you knew that the potential for that to happen happens like the market being down significantly in a fairly short time period that throws people off guard, makes them want to run and hide. Well, if you knew that that was a potential before you ever got started, then maybe you're a little bit better prepared and maybe your portfolio is uh, positioned so that you could withstand a big drop without losing sleep over it. That, that's, that's extremely important when it comes to investing. You, you really need to know yourself fairly well. And here's the question that I always have, and it's, it's on my risk tolerance questionnaire. It's the most important question that you're ever going to face, in my opinion, when it comes to determining how much money you should be putting into stocks versus bonds and cash. Okay, The... Um, the people with lots of letters behind their name like to call that asset allocation. So I just call it the breakdown between stocks, bonds, and cash. <laughs> Try to keep it simple. So take whatever of a decline that you think you could put up with and double that number, okay, and then limit your stock exposure to that number. So I'll give an example. I have mine at a 40%. I figure I can take a 40% drop. I'm not retiring anytime soon. I understand that the stock market drops, you know, 50% or more. It's done that, I don't know, three or four times during my lifetime. It's always come back, by the way, and we can talk about why that is in a couple minutes here. But knowing that that is a potential, not that it's going to happen, knowing that it's impossible to predict, by the way, when that's going to happen and just how long it's going to play out, you have to kind of set yourself up to just kind of expect it. And that way, if uh, if you're expecting it, like if, if I got a 40% decline, it's because the market got cut in half. It's down 50%. I've been through that several times in my lifetime. And I expect it. I expect it. I also expect that I'm going to recover. I also expect that it's going to go on to newer highs at some point in time. Exactly when? I don't know. Anybody that tells you that they do know that is either delusional or they're uh, not a nice person. <laughs> One of the two. There are a lot of delusional people who are really nice, by the way. They're, they're just delusional. <laughs> they just think a certain thing. And I'm, so I'm going to give everybody an out there. You, know, you, you just didn't know what you didn't know. Or actually, what was it Mark Twain said? The, uh, it's not what you don't know that hurts you. It's what you know that ain't so. <laughs> and uh, that guy was smart, wasn't he? <laughs> that was a long time ago, and he said that. Anyway, very, uh, very um, astute uh, witness to be human behavior, I guess, for lack of a better choice of words. <laughs> anyway, and so when it comes to the economy, you know, trying to predict the economy, holy cow, the uh, that is 
you know, the people with PhDs, they have a really tough time with that. When I say really tough time, the weather forecasters were more accurate before they had satellites than most economists are predicting it, what an economy is going to do. And there's a good reason for that, you know, because it's constantly changing and it's constantly evolving. The economy today is not the economy that it was 10 years ago. It's nowhere near what it was. 10. It's not the, the same economy it was three and a half years ago before the pandemic started flaring up. Is that three and a half or two and a half? I guess it's about two and a half. But anyway, the uh, so things have changed. And that's the one thing that you can count on, by the way, is change. Change is going to come. So you have to have change uh, adjustments. They don't have to be huge. But you should probably have a change in your investment plan. Okay. Uh, the, a lot of the funds that I hold are making adjustments. Actually, they're making them all the time. And I think it's really fascinating if, if people were able to see inside the funds and saw the activity that was going on, uh, it would probably be a little upsetting. It'd be a little upsetting to see uh, stocks that are, some of them are flying and others are crashing at the same time. When you uh, see that happening, well, actually, you're not seeing that happen. You're only seeing the end result, which tends to be smoothing that activity out quite a bit. So it makes it a lot easier to take. And, uh, you know, speaking of the economy, the economy is growing fast. You know, it, it's still growing fast. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I, I was talking about, you know, this is going to create change and it's going to be a catalyst to future economic growth. You can go back and listen to the shows. And guess what? It's happening. And that's not, you know, I, that is not a... Uh, that's nothing. I don't. I don't feel really good about that. I, the, the tone of voice I just took on there, I have to apologize for because it, that, it's just an observation. And if you haven't been watching, uh, if, you, if if your job as an investment is an investment advisor and you haven't been watching these trends and you don't already know that, um, you need to pay attention. <laughs> but the uh, uh, the vast majority of people that do a good job in this in my industry, they pay attention, and they know that that wasn't surprising at all. Uh, so here's the things that, that you can kind of look for. You can bet that they're going to continue to spend in medical technology to detect viruses, uh, the treatment of the viruses, of the sy symptoms. They're trying to come up with new and novel vaccines as the viruses kind of uh, change and not kind of change. They're actually changing. So and that's not new either. In fact, before all this started, I was reading right at right at the very beginning of a company in Israel that had already been looking for viruses, or I'm sorry, vaccines for viruses that were extremely similar to the COVID. So that was a, uh, it's something that they were fairly well aware of, just didn't expect it to happen that quickly and that largely over that short of a time period. So anyway. What is the economic impact of that? Well, it's been huge, and it's actually too large to really... Uh, we'll be feeling the impacts, let me put it that way. We'll be feeling the economic impact for a long time. And it's expansionary. It's expansionary. You have to spend money to take care of this problem. The uh, uh, So that 
that's kind of the silver lining to that is that it creates growth. It creates jobs uh, and jobs are opportunities and the economy actually grows as a result of that. One of the uh, one of the side effects of that is inflation. So you're going to have to, you know, kind of plan for inflation. Uh, if you're 65 years old or 60 years old today and your life expectancy is 20 years or so, the uh, you can bet prices are probably going to be up 50, 60 percent minimally over the next 20 years. So and that's a lot. I mean, think about it. Think about think about what would happen if prices jumped up 50 percent overnight. Let's say you went to sleep and woke up 20 years later and all of a sudden everything that cost $10 when you went to sleep costs 15 bucks. Uh, that's, you know, that would be shocking that, you know, what, what's the average cost of a new car? Now let's say 30, 30,000 bucks. It would be $45,000. That's 50, that's 50%. And that's just at the, uh, the current interest rate. I'm sorry, current inflation rate. If the in inflation rate creeps up a little bit more from here, which, you know, who knows? Uh, I don't think that's happening. Nobody's talking about that happening. All the uh, PhD economists that I really like that I feel like are pretty accurate are not talking about that. They're not projecting that into the future, at least not yet anyway. So uh, with a fairly r low rate of inflation, you know, 4% or so, 4 or 5 when I say that's fairly low, a lot of uh, younger people are going, what, what are you talking about? Well, see, when I was 16, <laughs> the inflation rate was in the mid teens. Think about that for a second. The inflation rate was in the mid teens. So I've seen a lot and could that happen again? Probably if that does happen again, what do you think might happen to interest rates? I think interest rates probably they're just going to have to bite the bullet and they're going to go up. That's what happened back in those days. They bit the bullet and said, you know what? The only way we can stop this runaway inf inflation is to shut the economy down. The only, the best way to shut the economy down is to raise interest rates like crazy. I remember people applying for mortgages at 22%. Think about that. 22%. If they were 22% today, that big screeching, crashing sound you're hearing is the economy coming to a complete halt. Okay. So I doubt that anybody is going to be that heavy handed. I don't know. I didn't think they would do that back then, but you know, back then nobody knew what a Mac was. You know, nobody had a computer. We didn't have access to a lot of the, the data and the information that we have today. So I don't think it's necessary to be quite as heavy handed as they were back in those days. Was it effective? Heck yeah, it was. <laughs> It really worked. The economy um, faltered. Prices came down. Inflation rates started dropping. And they were able to drop uh, interest rates. So I think I only have about 60 seconds left or so before I have to take a real quick commercial break. If you hear anything here that you'd like more information on, feel free to email me, bill at bullingtoncapital.com, or go to my website, which is bullingtoncapital.com. At some point in time, I'm hoping that, you know, the pandemic they get this under control so we can start having seminars again. That that would be nice. It'd be fun. I am thinking about it. And the reason I'm talking about it is I've gotten a lot of, of emails and calls. When are you going to have next seminar? Well, whenever the facilities open and we can get more than um, um, three people. <laughs> because a lot of the uh, facilities are not that large and it wouldn't be able to hold that many people. 
I hear the music, that means I definitely have to take a commercial break. This is Bill Bullinger in here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon, right here on 1420. Also available on the Fish's podcast, 955thefish.com. And uh, you can go to my website. There's a copy of it there. I think we are on oh the Apple Podcasts as well. So if you do a search on it, uh, iHeartMedia, or just do a Google search, it'll come up. So if you hear something here that you'd like more information on, feel free to drop me a line or give us a call. Yeah, the number there is 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. And uh, we're kind of talking a little bit about the economy and uh, how strong it is, what interest rates might do, and it can, which actually leads into the second segment of today's uh, show. And I wanted to talk about alternatives to traditional fixed income. Fixed income, for those of you that are relatively new to investing are things like CDs, certificates of deposit from a bank, um, government bonds. Those are bonds that you would buy from the government. It's like a CD that you buy from the, the government. Um, quite a few differences there. The, the thing is their, their interest rates are generally fixed. That's why they call them fixed income. You buy bonds from corporations. Most people don't buy bonds directly anymore. They, they buy them inside of funds, bond funds. Uh, there are funds that are bonds that are sold by government agencies, big corporations. Uh, some kind of risky; those are called junk bonds, and that that's actually a slang term, by the way. They're they're actually high yield bonds, um, but they might be a little risky because the companies don't have nearly as much cash behind them. Their cash flow is not as regular. They may have more debt than the average company does. So there's a bunch of stuff in that category. And it's an important category because just about, oh, I think it's somewhere around a um, 40 or 50% of the average investment portfolio is invested in those. And, and it really depends on the person too. Um, and uh, one of the things I see in that space is, is an awful lot of risk, risk that I, I think people are not really, I, well, I know they're not um, paying a lot of attention to because they they don't know that it's there. Uh, but when you're looking at CD rates that are less than 1%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 1.
I was checking them out this morning, and uh, I forget where they are right now, but uh, I, I didn't see a single solitary CD rate uh, for a one-year CD that was, you know, more than, I think it was 0.8%. That, that's pretty rough. That's really rough. So if you've got 40% of your money and you're getting 0.8%, that's a, uh, I don't know what to tell you. And I, I know people are looking at the yield on a lot of products. If you see a yield, like you can, you can get a junk bond fund, a high yield bond fund, and the yields around four, somewhere between four and 5%. And a lot of people are, are going to hear that and go, oh yeah, let's do that. Well, hang on for a second. Those are uh, extremely volatile. They fluctuate a lot. So if, if you're thinking that you're going to buy this fund and it's going to be like a CD or a, uh, you know, a money market account, you know, and then it drops 30 or 40% because the market has another little escapade that could be extremely upsetting and extremely damaging, especially if you needed the money and had to pull it out at that point in time. Um, children's college comes to mind when I'm thinking about that. It's, uh, or, you know, I was going to buy a car with that money and I just wanted to see if I could get some more higher interest on it. Well, I feel bad. I know that happens all the time. Why? Because people call me and say, Hey, you know, this, this fund really went down a lot. Why, why did it go down so much? Well, because it, it's holding some bonds and the bond prices fluctuate and those bonds are a little bit riskier. So anyway, that that's the whole theory on fixed income is you're, you're typically looking for a fixed rate of return. When you put bonds in funds, by the way, uh, you've just, the, the fixed returns are still on the individual bonds, but when you put a whole collection of them together, the that fund value fluctuates because the individual bond prices fluctuate. Now, how does that work? CDs don't fluctuate. No, nope, not really. They don't. If you cash it in early, you have to you know pay a penalty sometimes. Not always, but... Uh, but that's not how other fixed income, government bonds, corporate bonds, that's not how they work. They actually have a price. You pay the price, you get the, what is called a coupon rate or a coupon. That was the original interest rate. And your rate of return is going to depend on how much you paid for the bond. You don't, they don't necessarily come in thousand dollar increments. They're generally issued that way, but then the price starts to fluctuate. So the price fluctuates on bonds a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Go to the website, you know, go to the internet somewhere and get a chart of a an average bond fund. And so why am I spending so much time on this? <laughs> well, it's because there's there are alternatives to that. If you don't want to get a less than 1% rate of return, and the, the, the money is going to be long-term money. There are these things that I, I, stayed, I stayed away from for a long time. I just didn't like them. There were more, the other options on fixed income were more attractive than, than the rates that were being paid on the, these particular products. And now they're actually extremely attractive compared to what you're looking at in the bond market. And many of them will probably do better than most people do in the stock market. And they're called fixed indexed annuities. Fixed index, not indexed, not just annuity, fixed index. There are tons of different types of annuities. This is just one particular one. And it's really for somebody who's looking for a, a more, a slightly more predictable stream of income. That's what it's designed for. Or if I want to turn this income on in a certain number of years, that's how I have it set up. When I'm eligible for full, full social security, 
Okay. I'm just going to take the full sold security. I'm going to take the income off of the annuities that I purchased and I'm going to convert it. I'm just going to reinvest it because I'm probably not going to need the money at that point in time. And I like the, the idea of reinvesting because the rates that they're paying are pretty high. And I can't, there's no way I could match that in a CD or a government bond, uh, anything that's got a, a higher level of safety to it is not going to be competitive. These are the most competitive products in that space. So at least today, you know, that that's the way it is today. The reason I'm bringing this up is because when you've got a lot of debt, which we do, we've got a lot of debt. We're near the same levels that we were right after World War II, by the way. We're getting closer every day. We're not already past it. I haven't checked today, but the... Uh, we were at this level before we're, we're, you know, in World War II, we had to spend a whole lot of money. And wars are incredibly expensive, by the way. You got not just all the equipment, the uniforms, the food, and all the, all the reparations and all that stuff. Incredibly expensive. So they, have a, uh, they had a debt that was greater than the gross national product. That's what they used to call it um, instead of GDP. But... Uh, Basically, our debt was larger than our economy's total output for a year. It's about 140, 145% somewhere in that neighborhood. We're right around there now. So we've been here before. And uh, um, this time, I'm not sure that they will start to raise interest rates if they feel like they have to because they've learned a lot about handling money, handling crises since then. And I just don't know that anybody's got the courage to try to raise interest rates. Once you start raising interest rates, the largest item on the federal budget, you know, may be the interest on the debt. And if you, that means you can't use that money to pay for other programs. So I'm just not sure anybody has the, the guts to do that. What does this all mean? What this means is interest rates are probably staying really low on CDs and government bonds for a very long time. When I say very long time, I, I don't even know if they'll ever get back up. I, in Japan, they've had zero interest rates for over 20 years. And, I, and now actually they're negative. At least last time I looked, which hasn't been in the last 12 months. So I should probably uh, reference that and uh, look that back up. But I'm pretty sure that if you're putting money in a, in a bank in, in Japan, you're getting nothing on it. And Japan's been kind of lucky because they've had very low inflation in their economy. At least that's what their government statistics say. So are they going to raise it? I don't know. What can you do about it? Well, if you're coming up on retirement, you're starting to look at income or, or you're just looking at total return on your investment portfolio. The, the rates that you can get from a guaranteed uh, indexed annuity are pretty competitive today. They're very competitive. So if you want information on that, here's what I would do. There, there's a link that I can send you. You can go in, uh, and I like this one product from Nationwide, so it's a, um, I'll send you the link to Nationwide. You can put in your age and the amount of money that you have, and it will show you the, the type of income that they will pay you. And it depends on your age. The older you get, the more you get. So that's one of those instances where being older actually definitely has advantages. Okay. The, uh, uh, 
it, there's a schedule there of what that income will be over the next 10 years. Um, they're going to guarantee that the income that you could get will increase if the longer you put it off. So if I don't take it the first year, it goes up. If I wait to year two, if I don't take it year two, it goes up in year three. And there's a schedule there and it's extremely competitive. I would throw out some numbers, but it's kind of risky because when I talk about somebody who might be, you know, let's say my age, I'm 58. Okay. Somebody who's 68 goes, wow, that doesn't sound like that much. Well, it's because you're 10 years older than I am. They're, they're going to pay you more than they're going to pay me. So I would, uh, and by the way, I like the rate that they they would be willing to pay me. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And, uh, I really like the rate they're going to pay me, uh, in a few years from now that, that that's a really good rate. And uh, those are called payout ratios. They have different terms for these, by the way. I and mean, different companies use different terms differently. So lovely, you know. <laughs> There's a, you have to learn a, a complete language for every dealer or company that you deal with. And I just lost my... There you go. Lost you for a second there. Anyway, if you want more information on that, feel free to hit me up on there. Uh, I keep meaning to put together a, an example of here's an individual of this age, uh, and wants this much money, how much do they need to, to get that from a guaranteed source of income? And the guarantees, by the way, are only as good as the companies that are making them. It's not like you're getting a, uh, uh, a CD that's guaranteed by a federal agency or a treasury that's guaranteed by the federal government. Um, so you want to be careful with who you're dealing with and make sure they're highly rated. That's a big deal. I like to deal with minimally uh, A-plus rated companies, just um, trying to do everything I can to, to be as safe as I can in that space. And, uh, and again, I'll just tell you that the rates there are really good. Now, there's another version of that type of that idea. Okay. And these two ideas are really far apart from each other. This other idea is extremely flexible. The fixed indexed annuities have a higher payout ratio than what I'm about to talk about. The payout ratio that you can add to one of these products is 4% on the one that's super flexible. The super flexible one doesn't have a sales charge in or out and no penalties. That's a big deal. No sales charge in, no penalty for, for if you wanted to take it out two weeks from now. Okay. Why you'd ever want to do that? I have no idea, but the, uh, there's no penalty. The other thing that's really different about this other one is that you can invest hundred percent of the money up into stocks and they will still guarantee an income 4% to an individual, 3.75% to a couple. Okay. What are CD rates again? Half a percent, 0.8%. Here's what makes it really interesting. I only have about 60 seconds. So when we do come back, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, this is what makes this really interesting. You can put 100% of the money into a stock fund and they have 350 stock funds to choose from. Or funds, they have bonds in there too. Actually, they've got a whole bunch of stuff in there that I don't have any uh, interest in whatsoever. But they've got all the big players in there, Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, you know, um, DFS. It, 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 it's all over. You cannot not find something <laughs> that you're trying to do in there. And I just think it, I call it the Gumby annuity because it's so flexible. 
it's just really flexible. You can do whatever you want in there. You can move the money. What's really nice about that is when you're rebalancing your portfolio and it's in the investment only annuity, you don't get a 1099 and having to pay tax or even track it for that matter. Hey, this is Bill Bullington. I will be back right after these messages. Out in the brain, you're so alone, you're so afraid. I heard you pray in Jesus' name. It may be midnight or midday. It's never early, never late. Hey, you'll stand by what he claimed. I lived a love life to say. Bill Bullington, owner of Bullington Capital. You can go to my website. If you hear something here that you'd like more information on, feel free to call me or uh, reach out through email. We'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. And we are just kind of finishing up on uh, the, the two types of annuities I think make sense out there. Do you know there are more annuities than there are stocks? There are more different types of annuities, more different annuity products out there than there are stocks. (laughs) That just blows my mind. But and, And they keep evolving over time. And what I really like about it is over the past maybe three or four years, I think the involvement of the evolving nature of those products has been a quantum leap forward for a long time. I wasn't that fond of it, of them at all. But now there's some really nice products out there. We were talking about the the last product we were talking about was the one I like to call the Gumby annuity because it's so flexible. No charge in, no charge out, um, literally, no sales charges. If we're managing one for you, we only charge 1% to manage it. The uh, The fees inside are institutional fees, so they're lower than most if you were to go buy them directly. The uh, No taxes when you make changes inside the portfolio. It's tax deferred. So it's a, uh, and then you can add riders to it that will guarantee a minimum income for the rest of your life. Uh, what's really different about this one and the fixed index is that it can go up. So the fixed index is going to start out higher, but it's going to stay there. Okay. Uh, actually, this fixed index could potentially go up. The, the likelihood is, is not super high. With this one, the likelihood, depending on your age, is probably very high. So you don't have to have that income benefit rider. That's a rider. It's one half of a percent that they add to it. Guarantees a 4% return. Um, and uh, so if you start off with 100000 bucks, that's $4,000. If five years from now it's at 160000 then it would be 4% of 160000 So you'd actually uh, end up getting 4800 bucks. And how how cool is that? It's a, uh, uh, so that's... Oh, and here's the other thing that's really unique about this. I, this is being missed on a lot of people that I talk to about it. You can put up to 100% of the money into stock funds, and they'll still guarantee that 4% income, even if the stock funds were to crash. 
You know, that, that is amazing. And if they recover and then go higher, then your income is going to go up. So again, if you want to learn more about that, you know, feel free to go to my website and say, Hey Bill, what was that a new year we're talking about? I can send you a link. You can go there. You can read all about it. You can call me. You can email us. You can uh, set an appointment, either phone a meeting or on the uh, in-person. doesn't really matter to us. And I just think between those two products, boy, you know, now you're cooking with gas. You're really cooking with gas. Then you've got the last two categories. Those would be the traditional portfolios, ones where you're going to try to be well diversified. I always try to overweight a couple sectors that I really like. Like right now, depends on how aggressive someone is. Uh, if you want to be really aggressive, then you take 20% of your stock money and you split it between the semiconductor industry and healthcare. I have two models, one for the semiconductor, one for the healthcare. And I add those two models to my traditional model, which is basically a more conservative, well-diversified institutional type of, of product. And that makes me a little bit different because I'm willing to put in that time and effort to do that extra work to, to try to locate those investments that are in the places that I, that I feel are in the sweet spot of the economy. Why would I feel that healthcare is in the sweet spot? Well, have you not been watching the news? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's, it's always been in the sweet spot. Well, not always. Yeah, actually, if you go back, I mean, you look at the, uh, some of these indexes didn't exist back in the 70s and 80s. And if they had, of, nobody would believe the returns anyway. So a lot of them have gone, come out in the early or late 90s or early 2000s. I think I had a long track record there. They've done incredibly well. They do, there are, there are still stocks. So they still go down a lot. Uh, sometimes it takes them a while to recover, sometimes much longer than you would like. But all other things being equal, the growth in sales in those industries, the, both the healthcare and the semiconductor space, has been way faster than the average, uh, than the economy. I mean, it's been three to four times the rate of growth in the economy at times. So, and right now, it's more than three to four times the growth rate of the overall economy. So if you'd like to see those models, that's fine. These, this would be my more traditional portfolios. I can uh, send that to you as well, but you have to request it. This is the thing. We actually have to have a, at least an arm's length. Uh, when, when I say arm's length, I'm talking like an email length. <laughs> you email me, uh, that's a contact. So I can then print up reports and, and email you back. I, I can't just send these out. I can't do a mass mailing with these. I, I have certain restrictions over how I can use the uh, information that I'm paying for. So anyway, just go to the website and say, hey, look, I would like some more information on the that healthcare semiconductor model that you were talking about or just the healthcare or just the semiconductor, whatever you're interested in. I'll, I'll send it out to you. And I'm going to begin right now the segment of the show where we talk about individual stocks and, and I just ran a scan and let me tell you what the criteria is on this scan. So over the last 90 days, these are the stocks that are in the top 20% as far as price movement. So basically they're, they're in an upward trend. Okay. That's what I'm scanning for first. The second thing I'm scanning for is that today the stock is, is up at least 3%. So it's up at least 3%. I'm 
I also don't want to get into penny stocks because they're too, uh, they're just too wild. I don't really have time for that. So I look for companies whose market values, whose stock market values, we call it capitalization, is at least $500 million. And I want the price history, I want it to be above $10. And there, there's a reason for that. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So that's the criteria. And I'm running this right now as we speak. And by the way, this show is pre-recorded, so uh, this won't be the same by the time Saturday gets here. There's always a new list every day. As I'm running this, there are only 24 stocks that fit that criteria. 24 stocks, which is pretty pretty good. Uh, actually, pretty good for the time of day. And what I really find interesting about it is how these stocks will run and run and run. And uh, it's just mind-boggling. One of the very first one I'm looking at, it came up on the scan again today, is $93. And back in February, it was only 20 bucks. Holy cow. Now, having said that, if you go back to, oh, let's see, September of 2018, so three years ago, it was right, it was actually half of where it is today, but it had dropped from $48 all the way during the height of the pandemic, it got down to $5.70. <laughs> that is not that unusual, by the way, especially for companies that, that, that move really fast. You know, that, that's not really an unusual amount of movement in stocks. That's what shocks a lot of people. I mean, they did it. When you look at the average volatility, the average stock, you will understand why I only have 20% of my money in this portion of the portfolio. And not only do I just have 20%, I limit my holdings to 5% of that uh, amount. So that account, I only put 5% in one stock. So 5% of 20% is 1%. That's essentially what I have in these types of stocks because they are really fast both directions <laughs> and sometimes uh you have a stop on a stock that's an order that executes and wants to get you out and sometimes it it goes it'll open below where your stop was and i never put a limit on those by the way i just want to get out if it's crashing that fast just get me back out so anyway it i think it's it can be fun it, it can be very profitable uh, but you got to have the right mentality for this. And sometimes I pick up stocks that I'll hold on to for quite a while because I, I like the underlying characteristics like the sales, the profit margins, the, the business model. The, that's a more traditional approach. And oftentimes I will find those types of stocks, the more traditional, uh, traditional stocks in these scans. So I'm just going to run through this really quickly. And in fact, I think what I'll do to make this a little bit um, more, instead of having it being up 3% today, I've got another scan that only looks for stocks that are up 2%. And hang on a second. I have to uh, ooh, change something here. There we go, 2%. See how fast that was? <laughs> that's that's, that's mind-boggling. And then it ran the skin in about two seconds. All right. So Travel Centers of America comes up. That's that's hilarious. The uh, That stock is all over the place. Not one of my favorite. Albertsons uh, grocery store chain comes up. And talk about a, a relatively inexpensive stock. The price to sales ratio on that was 0.13. The price to sales ratio is my favorite metric for value. It's kind of like price per square yard in carpet or price per square foot in real estate. I think people can 
probably relate to that one a little bit better. But the uh, you know you you expect to pay more in price per square foot in real estate if you're in an upscale neighborhood than you were in a uh, neighborhood where the homes are all thousand square feet or less and the lots are less than you know uh, three quarters of an or yeah three quarters of an acre you wouldn't expect to pay as much per square foot for that smaller home with a smaller yard than you would a big home with a big yard and, and, and all that. So stocks are kind of similar. The price to sales ratio is going to adjust typically depending on how profitable the business is. The more profitable a business is, is expected to be because they may not be even earning profits yet. The, uh, the more, the larger the profit margins, the larger the price to sales ratio you can justify. Long-term average for the stock market's right around, right between two and a half and three. Okay, that's where the long-term average for the entire market is. Now, you take the, the top companies like software companies or um, drug companies that, that uh, have patents that last for a long time. Their profit margins are so large that a price-to-sales ratio of nine or ten may not be unusual. Whereas you take a grocery store and 0.5 is the average of the industry. So huge range there. And it, it would take you a while to kind of get that down, uh, which price to sales ratio is good for what industry. And I'm going to tell you that realistically, it's really, it may not even be worth looking at anymore. I think you could just use the price movement alone. I know you can, because I've been doing it for quite a while. I only look at the price to sales ratio. It makes me feel better about certain purchases. But if I see something that I think is is really strong, and I've been watching companies in one industry come up over and over and over again, uh, kind of the way semiconductors have been doing the past three or four years, whenever I see a semiconductor stock, it's like, that's a buy. <laughs> I don't care what the valuation is on it. It's not going to hurt me that much anyway. Remember, I've only got 20% of my money in these portfolios, and I've got 20 stocks. So I've got 1%. I can get stopped out. I could lose the whole 20%, and it wouldn't matter. And the, by the way, the chances of losing 20, the whole 20% when you're doing this, if you're following the rules on the Look Out for the Bull website, the chances of that happening are incredibly small. Incredibly small. So let's go through scan source. This one keeps coming. This stock's been, I, I've seen this stock a gazillion times over the past 10 years. Uh, the pattern looks pretty good on it. I don't know. I don't even remember what they do, but someone's SC, uh, SC. Let's see, Gannett. Uh, newspaper publishing. Hey, Macy's. <laughs> Macy's is coming up. That's pretty funny. BTU. I wouldn't buy this because it's a coal stock and I'm just not a big fan of coal. You know, that's 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 me. And having said that, this stock got down to a buck in 2020. It's at 19 now. <laughs> Maybe I should lose my bias to coal. Uh, no, I don't think so because this stock also sold at 40 bucks three years ago. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not seeing a whole lot today, which is one of the things that you have to get used to. Uh, I do like uh, IDT, the telecom company. It, it's got a nice looking chart. The valuation is not real high on it. It had been running a lot over the past few months, but it's not a whole lot higher than it was back in 2011. So, you know, if, probably something to check out just based on the chart alone i would i would buy it in the recognition of how many times it's come up on scans before and uh oh this is the one i, I really like signet jewelers that that company is uh constantly coming up and down and 
Anyway, I feel bad. I uh, did it again. I didn't spend as much time talking about stocks as I'd like to. Uh, Green Plains, by the way, GPRE, that's the last one I'll mention. Yeah, take these things with a grain of salt, by the way. Go to the Look Out for the Bull website and read about how to manage your risk there. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be again, back here again next week at 11 o'clock Saturday morning. Have a good week, good luck, and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.